Well, I invite you this morning to turn a little book in the New Testament. It's, it's, it's the book 1 Peter. And the reason it's 1 Peter, because after this letter, there is a 2 Peter. So uh, find your New Testament. It's toward the back of your, of your New Testament. If you find Hebrews and James, it's right after that. And we're really only going to look at a couple verses. And, and really what I want to speak about today is that uh, God wants us in a, in a world that's not filled with a lot of natural hope. You know, everyone, uh, you know, I've talked to, talks about, I just can't wait till 2021. Somehow being hopeful that in 2021, everything's going to change. Now, we have no assurances that 2021, at least on a natural level, is going to be a lot better than 2020. Uh, but, we, but we still can be hopeful no matter what is happening around us because for God's people who lives within us. And not only that, because not only as we look at our circumstances that we cannot control, at least everything, we can look at the circumstances we are going to be, going to be able to experience in the future. And Peter writes this little letter to people that he know are going to go through difficult times, extremely difficult times, but much more than they're going through at the present time. And that's what we need all to be, be aware of. It, it might not get better for a significant period of time. I'm hoping it is, or I'm wishing it is, I guess is a better way to put it. But we have no assurances that things are going to be reduced in terms of restrictions in the foreseeable time frame that we're thinking about. But no matter what, God's people can be filled with hope because who lives within us and who promises us what is our future settled in eternity for us. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And if you have your outlines and if, if you're taking notes, you might have to use the backside if you write down some of the verses I'm going to give you that we're not going to look up but refer to. Peter writes this way, just two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And what we're going to try to get out of that, just as introduction of this book, is just some things that, that ought to just really encourage us and move us out to not only know that we are the people of God, but to live out being the people of God. And, and try to put this in a, a framework that hopefully uh, will resonate and also cause you to remember some of the things I'm sharing with you today. I, I, really what I want to do is answer three questions. Uh, the introductory question is, is this really possible, to be hopeful in a world that doesn't give us a lot of reasons to be filled with hope? And that's true. I mean, we're not living in a day and age where we're filled with a lot of hope because of what the world offers to us. Is it really possible then to be hopeful? And we're going to answer it this way. Number one, who is this Peter? Who is, is this Peter telling us to be hopeful? And we all, we all wrestle this, don't we? When, when someone gives us certain news, we're, we're trying to say, is this fake news or true news, right? We all have our favorite channels. We have all our favorite podcasts. We have all our favorite people we like to read. And I try to read and listen to people on both sides of the equation, almost on every subject. And we have a tendency to listen a little bit more to people that we respect a little bit more than other people, right? Nod your head like you're still listening to me, all right? Yeah. Right, we, we do. I mean, we, we elevate certain people's information given to us based on our opinion of them or their credentials or whatever it might be or other people who listen to them. 
And so as we think about the challenge to be hopeful no matter what, and that's my goal for this series, it is no matter what is happening in you physically, like what happened to me, or whatever's ever happened to you externally, that you're still filled with hope. And the reason, though, is because who we're getting this challenge and message from is someone we, we should listen to. He, he's a reliable source of information. Number one, it's because God is inspiring him to write these words. But secondly, you look at his own experience. You trust people who have gone through things and got out of it more than people who've never experienced what you're experiencing. Is that true? And so we're going to see this in Peter. Who is this Peter telling us to be hopeful? Secondly, what does it mean to be hopeful? If that's what I'm supposed to be, what does that really mean? What does it mean that I'm filled with hope? Does that mean like I'm, I'm a you know, Pollyannish type person? I always think that the sun is shining, that the birds are singing, not the crows at my house. Hundreds and thousands of them go through my house. Not through my house, but outside my house. And they don't sing. They just make a noise, all right? We're not, we're, you know, but it's always, it's always shining. It's always, every, you know, everything's going great. That's not, that's not being filled with hope. That's just, you know being bizarre, okay? There are difficult times. And then thirdly, well, how can I be hopeful? If, that's, if, if the goal is to be filled with hope, what are some of the, it, what are some of the things I need to realize and know if I'm going to be hopeful? And we're going to get that progressively through this book, but uh, we're going to introduce it today. So um, who is this Peter telling us to be hopeful? Well, Peter, as we all know, or many of you know, he was, one of the, he was one of the 12, right? He was one of the apostles. He was one of the called out ones to be a follower of Jesus, and the word apostle should not be, you know, mysterious to us. The word apostle simply means sent one. So God, uh, through Jesus, in Jesus, Jesus who is God, called 12 men, uh, one he knew was going to fail. And he said, look, not only am I calling you to follow me, but I'm sending you out to represent me. And, and Peter was an apostle with a capital A because he was given a spiritual authority uniquely at the founding of the church. But we know in the New Testament that other people were apostles, but they, in a sense, had the lowercase a. They were sent ones. And in, in one sense, we are all apostles from the standpoint we are sent ones to represent Jesus. Amen? But, but, but Peter had authority because he was one of the 12, and he was chosen by God to represent him and to speak truth uh, for, from him, from, from Jesus to others. So, but, but Peter also was a, a man, as we think about his life, he didn't always live like he was particularly filled with hope. He, he didn't always live in such a way that we would want to follow his example. W- would you agree with that if you know any of the stories about G- uh, Peter? I, I mean, there, there were times where would, Peter would say things to Jesus. And one of the things you need to learn when, you, when you're trying to learn uh, or be taught something, okay, is that you ought to listen more than, than speak, right? And Peter sometimes had a problem with that. He was the, the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth because he was always sticking his foot in his mouth, right? Then sometimes he forgot that Jesus was the teacher and, he, and, and uh, uh, that, that he wasn't the student, that Peter didn't need to correct him. And one time in, in Matthew chapter 16, Peter tries to uh, you know, change Jesus' mind about the truth and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because he was giving him the, <laughs> he, was, he was saying that it was diametrically opposed to what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. But as you think about Peter, Peter throughout his life was a person who was a roller coaster type of follower of Jesus. And, and I think many of us can relate to that. 
But we're going to see toward the end of his life, that all changed because he got filled with truth and got filled with hope. And he now knew what Jesus was doing through him and through the Spirit of God. It changed everything. If you know much about Peter, you realize that his initial, his birth name was Simon. Simon Barjona. In fact, Barjona means, in fact, in, in John chapter 1, verse 42, when he first meets Jesus, it says, uh, they translate it this way in the New Testament, Simon son of John, and we all know that means he was John's son, okay, so he was a John son, okay, and, and as we think about that, it was interesting, immediately what happened there is that when he met Jesus, and this is pretty bold of Jesus, but Jesus can do whatever he wants, he said, I'm going to change your name, you're no longer to be known as Simon Barjona, you're now going to be called Cephas, or what we would know, that's the Aramaic of the word Petros, which is Greek for Peter. I'm going to take you, and you've just met me. He was brought there by Andrew, his brother. And so Andrew had in his oikos his brother Peter, or at that point was only Simon. And immediately what Jesus, when he looked at Peter, he didn't, he didn't just see him as he was, but what he was going to become. He said, you are kind of, you're, you're kind of a, a person only is could be explained as pretty normal and maybe a little less than normal, but I'm going to make you a rock. But throughout the life of, 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 of the time where Peter was following Jesus physically, he had that roller coaster experience. And, and there were times where, where Jesus wouldn't call him Peter anymore. He'd go back to his old name. He said, Simon, Simon. And, and it, was, it was not just in the beginning, but it did begin at the beginning, where, where Jesus did one of his first miracles with Peter, and, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 5, and he, he sends him out on the water and, and says, okay, I want you to throw the net on the other side. And, and Peter said, look, I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. You know, I, that's not going to work. But, but Jesus persuades him, and he calls him, Simon, Simon, just throw the net on the other side. And, and then that, the net gets filled with all kinds of fish, and and it says, Simon, Simon says, he said, look at, I'm an unclean man. I, I, I'm now in the presence of, of a power, of the, the powerful one promise, the, the Messiah. Uh, but it not only happened in the beginning, when he, even when Jesus would tell Peter how to fish or how to see God do the miraculous. We, we know toward the end of, of the time physically that Jesus was with Peter, that he asked three of them, Peter, James, and John, uh, to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? And they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and we, we find that in Mark chapter 14, and and when they're praying, when Jesus is praying, the disciples, fairly late at night, have been a long, long, highly stressed experience. Uh, they all, including Peter, what, what do they do? They fall, they fall asleep. And so at that time, he says, Simon, Simon, couldn't you not have stayed awake with me but for one hour? And, and, then, even, and then even toward the time in which Jesus from a... a the one who was fully God and fully man, and he was preparing to go to the cross, and he, was, he had been preparing them for that to happen. Uh, there was a discussion that rose among the disciples, including Peter, and the discussion, well, who, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And, and immediately what, when Jesus arrives on the scene and rebukes them for that, he says, you know, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to, to tempt you and sift you like wheat. And so whenever Peter did not live up to his name, Rock, I have a good friend that's, uh, I've always known him as Rocky. I think his real name is Percy. And I'm thinking, I cannot call you that, okay? He's a big, strong guy. Uh, but when he, when he didn't live up to his name and 
isn't that the challenge for us? Sometimes we don't, we don't live up to our name of being a Christ follower, a Christian, a person who knows Jesus. Then, then Jesus, in a sense, says into our life and calls us by a different name. You're not living like you're a child of God. You're living like you don't know me. In fact, Paul in Corinthians says, I'm talking to you like you're mere men that don't even understand the, spirit, the elementary spiritual truths about the living God. And so he sits him there. And then even after the cross, we know that they all fled at the cross, the disciples. And then the resurrection happened. And you would have thought that would change everything. But we also know the storyline of of Simon, Peter, Barjona, there, there were times where he was like in between. And in John chapter 21, they're kind of waiting for, the, in the 40 days before Jesus ascends into heaven, he, he find, talks to the other disciples, says, you know, I'm just going to go back to fishing. <laughs> and he starts fishing in John chapter 21. And, and then Jesus arrives on the scene and he, he, he's speaking to Peter one more time, but he has to call him Simon. Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and Peter replies back, Simon replies back, well, you know I, you, I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. I say, then, well, then obey me and feed my sheep and lead and shepherd my people. And so what I'm trying to do is paint a picture is that, that Peter was a person that often was, was not hopeful, but he was hopeless. And how he followed Jesus, how he trusted Jesus, what he expected was going to happen in the near future or the far future. And he, he was just all over the map spiritually. But then something happened. And something happened is what Jesus said, look, at, I want you all tarry together. I want you all be assembled together and I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now went from influencing their lives to living within them. And everything changed. And after the Gospels, Peter is never called Simon again because the Spirit of God controls him. And you you look look at the difference, what happened. I mean, to the people who crucified Jesus, he boldly preaches the gospel. You put to death the one who had been promised you from ages gone by. The one who is the only hope for you and all of Jerusalem and all of Israel and all the world. But he is calling out you to repent and believe in him. And then we see Jesus in the midst of, of a world, in his own world, persecuting those who were the followers of Jesus. He boldly would do the miraculous, and he would boldly receive the, the consequences for not obeying the law of that land and, and still preaching about Jesus. We must obey God rather than men and put in prison, but still preaching the gospel. He takes talks to his own people in Acts chapter 5, and, and those who were, who were falling astray from the, the walk with God uh, being in the church, not outside the church, and he would confront them and apply discipline to them, church discipline. We have Peter who, who had always lived for seeing his own ethnic people, Israel, as God's chosen people, and, and God called him to, to go to a, in Acts chapter 10 and present, present the gospel to the Gentile world. Everything changed, and he was filled with obedience and filled with the hope that God was in control because the Spirit of God was now leading him out. So as we look at this book, which is going to talk about having a living hope, Peter is one who lived that out, often 
in his past experience and failure, but now with the Spirit of God directing him through the Word of God, his life was now dramatically different. Didn't mean he was perfect after the Spirit of God lived with him. He had some hiccups in his walk with God. But this was the direction he was living, filled with the hope that God was in control. And, and so he writes this letter to a group of people, probably around 64 A.D., right before Nero puts an empire-wide persecution among God's people. And he was anticipating what was going to happen because he was probably in Rome, Babylon. I would probably say Babylon, Rome was synonymous in this particular letter. And he's writing to them who had been dispersed, scattered throughout the Roman Empire, representing Jesus and establishing churches. And he was preparing them for what was going to happen. And what he wanted to do was to fill them with hope, not because circumstances were going to change to the good. The circumstances were going to get a lot worse than they were right now. And he says, I want you to understand that God is in control. And so he urges them to be hopeful, and we'll see that throughout the letter but we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be hopeful? What does it mean to be hopeful? Well, I can tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean to have wishful thinking that everything's going to change now or in your foreseeable future, circumstantially. But, but, but what it does mean is that no matter what is happening in you or around you, that you can, as I put it in your outline, you can be content and confident celebrating a certain future in Christ. Now, that sounds maybe a little bit too religious, but let me put it this way. You know, some of us are avid uh, sports fans, and, and some of us, you know, when, when our team wins, we're, we're filled with joy. When our, feel, our team loses, we're filled with what? You know, despair, our heart is broken. We're, we, we, just, you know, we, we just can't stand it. Well, I don't know if, it, if the, the misery of, of being a, a sports fan is that sometimes your team wins, sometimes your team loses. And if, you're, if you know your team's going to lose, you just assume maybe not watch them lose, right? Would you agree with that? I have to admit, the older I get, that, that I, there are times with certain sporting events, I would rather watch the event after it happens rather than before it happens. Because after it happens, I know whether my team or the player in my, the particular sport I'm following, they win. And when that happens, you know what? It's interesting. I can watch that game or watch that event, and no matter how bad it is in the first half, if I know my team is winning, is going to win the game, man, I'm enjoying the entire game, right? Man, I mean, it doesn't matter what hell. Man, you just fumbled. How could you do that? Or the, or the, the referee makes a bad call or whatever it might be, but if I know my, my team is going to win, I can, I, can, I can watch that without my heart, you know, being stressed out and, you know, you know, I, I, can, I can just enjoy it. And, and see, this is what we have. We, we can watch the, the, game, the, the tape of the game after the game is over because God has predicted definitively that in the end we win, right? No, no matter what, who, who's in the White House, no matter who wins that runoff in January, you know, for the, the, the Senate, no matter what happens, we win. That doesn't mean we're not responsible, that we aren't actually involved, but we know that we have a certain future that we can always be content and confident and even celebrate because we know what's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen, that God's plan will completely be played out. The, the Greek word for hope is the word elpis, which means simply joyful anticipation of good coming. 
that we can, we can anticipate, we can expect and know there's something good that is going to happen, not might happen, but will happen. In fact, our future is going to be a better future. Uh, it, in the Hebrew, it's interesting. The Hebrews like to have colorful language. It really is, when you're filled with hope, you're holding on to a rope, and you know that rope is secure. You know, you don't know how long is it going to take to get to that destination on the rope, but you know that you, your future is settled when your hope is in God. And, and so as, as we begin this series in the book of First Peter, we need to recognize we're, we're hearing it from a reliable source who has gone through times where he didn't experience hope, but now he is experiencing hope because he knows where his, where his hope is, is found. It's not found in the circumstances around him, but it's found in the Christ who came for him. And what is hope? Hope is always being joyfully expecting that good is coming. The best is coming. It's being content and confident, celebrating a certain future because you're in Christ. Well, what do we we need to know or what do we need to do to really be hopeful? And here I'll just, just quickly go through this. First of all, realize just who we are. It's not only realizing who God is, but realizing who we are. Paul writes, or Peter writes, to to those who are residing as aliens scattered throughout those cities he records there. You know, we can all describe ourselves in various ways, but how many times have you described yourself as an alien? Well, you might be if you've come from another country to our world. You might say, well, I'm a foreigner, or I'm a stranger, or I'm I'm here on a visa, and I'm looking for a green card, and then hopefully I can become a citizen. But what we need to realize is no matter whether we who were born in America, go to another country, and we go through the same process that people come to our country, is, is what we need to realize is that we're all aliens here. Some of the, some of the Bible translators in the English language say we're, we're strangers here, which is simply to realize this world is not our home. We're just passing through. So all the things that we worry about now, they're, they're, they're going to be of no consequence in the future. For those of us here, and some of you are still in school, but when you're in school, man, you, you were so fearful about every test you took and what kind of grade you were going to get, and, and then after you got out of school, then what kind of job I'm going to get, and then, and then, um, then you're looking for someone, if, if, if God leads you to get married, who am I going to marry? And Alice is still kind of struggling with that issue right now. But, but you know, you, you got all these things you're worried about, and then after it happens and it happens well, you go, why was I worried about that, right? Because it's now past, Right? And what he's saying here, look, at this world is not your home. So why are you worried so much about things in this world? Philippians 3, 20 and 21, I have in your outline. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble state into conforming with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, has even to subject all things to himself. Now, I don't want to belay the point, but... You know, obviously, I had a somewhat serious little heart procedure three weeks ago or four weeks ago now. But, you know, it, what, what, what if the worst had happened? Okay, uh, well, maybe, maybe the worst would have happened that, you know, I would have gone to heaven. Okay, but, let, but that, that, what, what, a, what a great uh, challenge here, right? But, but let's say, if, let's say in, the, in the exciting things for me is, okay, you know, one already 99% closed, and they were saying that uh, could have been pretty, pretty serious if something didn't happen right on time. But the good news was there was no heart damage because it was, the blood was still trickling through. 
For me, a harder thing for me to wrestle with, what if there had been heart damage and the freedoms I do have now physically, I didn't have anymore. I could have got out of washing the windows, but you know, there are some other things I still want to do, right? I still want to do, to do some things. But you know, it's, it's still okay because I'm going to get a new body when I get to heaven. Any of the things that, that aren't working like I want them to work or don't work as well as I'd like them to work, or you know, it, it, that's not going to be my problem in, in my future. I can be filled with hope. And my citizenship, my, my residence is not here. It's going to be an eternity with God. And so he's speaking to aliens and saying, look, I want you to understand you really are aliens, but your citizenship is not here, but in heaven. But then he goes on and says, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And trust me, we're not going to go in any depth of what I wanted to go through, but know you've been chosen because God wanted you. No matter how you, how you look at it, throughout Scripture, and there's just a multitude of Scriptures concerning, as you think, well, how, how did I get in on this? Is I, am I just smarter than other people who chose not to? Look, when we get to heaven, the only reason we're going to be able to explain why we got to heaven is because God's grace and mercy was so good upon us that He wanted us in His family. Now, I believe there's an there's a, there's a, a unimaginable way to understand the sovereignty of God and the, and the, the will of man, and I think... The sovereignty of God says, look, God is in control. And so we can always be confident of that in terms of being in his family. But we also need that we are responsible. Whosoever will may come. But the, the, the predominance of evidence here is I want you to know that God has chosen you because he wanted you. He wanted you to be with him. In First Thessalonians chapter 2.13, he chose, chose you out of love. Ephesians 1 talks about he chose you out of love. He just didn't chose you arbitrarily because he decided to place his love upon you. And the whole foreknowledge idea gives the idea that the word knowledge means I want to have an intimate relationship with you. When God knows us, it's like an intimate relationship, like a husband for a wife and a wife to the husband. He knows us deeply. And he knew this before anything else happened. Then Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says this, before I found you in the womb, he's speaking to Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you to be a prophet. He's telling Jeremiah and all that he was called to do. So look, I want you to know that this didn't happen impulsively by me. This happened from the very beginning. I chose you. I appointed you. I do a work in your life. And so we rest in that confidence, and it fills us with hope that God wanted me in his family. And so when you leave this place in the midst of all the things we cannot control is that God wanted me, and you can rest in that. And then finally, just real briefly, he says, and you need to understand that you've been, you were called to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. It means to be completely forgiven and cleansed of all your sin. But then he says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And so we need to realize if we're going to be filled with hope, our citizenship is in heaven. We're chosen by God, but also we have much to celebrate. You know, I, as we began the service, we were, we were challenged to be thankful. You know, what, what would happen on a particular day if, if you only were able to enjoy the things you were thankful for the day before? And we realize sometimes that, that we're more in despair and despondency uh, than hopefulness is, is because we have forgotten how or chosen not to celebrate all that God has done for us. There are so many things to celebrate God for. And, 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 and Peter just please, I want you to experience the, the grace and mercy of God to its fullest. 
That's our responsibility. He has blessed us. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is found in Ephesians 1.3. In fact, it's in your, in, your, in your outline. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Every one of us are amazingly blessed by God. But how often do we celebrate that? And if we're going to experience to its fullest measure, then we've got to celebrate what God has done and what God is going to do. It, it, the scripture talked about that we have a blessed hope in Timothy. And that blessed hope is experienced at the appearing of Jesus Christ in the future. This is not our best life now. Our best life is in the future. We experience in a measure now so that we can express the joy of being with God, the abundance of, of life in Jesus. But we look so much more for the future when what we experience now in, in some measure is experienced in all its fullness. So what's the challenge this morning? Are you filled with hope? In a, in a world filled with all kinds of reasons to be despairing and discouraged, having despondency, whatever you want to use, is that, that we as God's people have so much to be thankful for and so much to celebrate. Because we've been chosen. And because this is not our home. We, we have a citizenship in, is in heaven. And we want to live in such a way that people can see that in our lives. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray as, as your people that we recognize that, that we have some rights. But even more so, we have some responsibilities. And the responsibilities for God's people are to take what you've done for us. And live it out in such a way that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the joy that is a fruit of the Spirit is displayed for other people to say, I want what you have. And our, our hope is found in a person. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. The hope for the Christian is the confidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And what he did, he did on our behalf. So that we can know him, not only for now, but for eternity. Help us to embrace you fully in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name.